Welcome to the Georgetown Baptist Church Sermon Podcast, where we share sermons from our most recent worship services. To learn more about GBC, please visit us online at georgetownbaptist.org. Our scripture reading this morning is found in Philippians chapter 2, verses 1 through 11. If you have any encouragement from being united with Christ, if any comfort from his love, if any fellowship from the Spirit, if any tenderness and compassion, then make my joy complete by being like-minded, having the same love, being one in spirit and purpose, Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit, but in humility consider others better than yourselves. Each of you should look not only to your own interest, but also to the interest of others. Your attitude should be the same as that of Christ Jesus, who, being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be grasped, but made himself nothing, taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness, and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to death, even death on a cross." Therefore, God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus, every knee shall bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. In 1924, there were a series of newspaper articles where people were asked, um, what is life going to be like in 2024? We need you to help share and, and, you know, what do you think life is going to be like? What's going to be normal? What's going to be just taken for granted? And uh, the answers were interesting. Some of them were pretty accurate. So um, one person said, automobiles will travel on speedways through all major towns. Okay, good enough. Um, Concerts will be able to happen remotely. You won't have to be in person with someone in order to hear their music. Pretty good. Uh, Movies will be so realistic, it'll be hard to separate them from real life. Uh, Debatable, I guess. So uh, the other ones, though, the ones that um, were not quite accurate, these are are the funnier ones to me. Um, One is after you, the parents, have gotten up and wrapped yourself in your asbestos work suit for the day, you're going to push a button in your house and your kids' beds are going to flip on their side and dump them out of bed. Now, I'm just saying, there's a lot of 2024 left. We can make some of this happen. I see some people jotting down notes. Um, another one said that they were, they were convinced that uh, horses were going to be extinct and thought of like, you know, dinosaurs at that, at, in 2024. But my favorite one 
is uh, there was a person who was convinced that instead of diamonds being used to propose marriage, what the person was going to do was going to offer their supposed spouse a hundred pound sack of sugar, which, I mean, for the right person, right? Like that would be, uh, what do you think? Me and the sugar? What? Huh? Huh? What do you think? Uh, as, and as much fun as it is to kind of laugh at how people a hundred years ago would envision what 2024 is going to be like, if I were to ask you right now, what's 2024 going to be like and force you to make a prediction, when we look back a year from now, our answers probably wouldn't be much better because we don't know what's going to happen. And how do I know that? Because I want to ask you to remember back a year ago and if you were to have to answer the question, what's 2023 going to be like from the first Sunday in 2023, would you have been able to answer it accurately? Would you have been able to name all of the ups and downs, the highs and lows, the additions and the subtractions from your life in all kinds of different ways? Maybe you would have gotten some of it or even most of it. But there are always things that happen, always things that go on that are beyond our ability to know and to name. It's not just in our individual lives. A year ago, here, none of you knew who I was except for Ashley. And Ashley would have been like, yeah, we talked like 10 years ago. I don't, uh, and I didn't know you. And yet, God brought us together. We don't know what's going to happen. We can't predict accurately where things are going to be. And the more time we try and focus on that kind of stuff, I think the more time we waste. So if we, if we can't use our time trying to like focus and predict where things are going, what should we use our time doing? What should we spend our time with? How should we make use of all the days that God has given us? And so for me, as I was thinking about that, I thought about, first and foremost, the good news of Jesus and what God has done for us. And, and, and the initial response of, because of the graciousness, because of the goodness, like the praise team saying, the goodness of God and all that God has already done for us, whatever we're going to do is simply in response to that. So everything we do, everything we start with, starts with understanding God has already moved first. God has already done good work and invited us into something incredible beyond our means or ways of being able to do on our own. It is God who moves first and it is us who respond. But it doesn't answer the question, yeah, 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 so how do we respond? So we're starting a new series to answer that question. In the series, we're calling The Work of the People. What is it that we are called to do? What is it that we are supposed to do with our time, with our days, with this year? How are we supposed to make sense of and then make a difference in the place where God has placed us now and will place us over the next 52 weeks? What are we supposed to do? So I think... The, the thing I want to talk about today, the one that I want to mention and, and have us focus on today, is one of the things that I think we are called to do, both individually and as a church, is as people, as the work of the people in response to what God has done, I think we are supposed to unite under Christ. We're supposed to unite under Christ. So what does that mean? 
Well, when we think about uniting and we think about all being united together, um, maybe you have a mindset of a dinner table over Thanksgiving or Christmas where no one's allowed to talk about anything that matters because it'll just get into a big fight. And so you just mention the weather. And then you mention the weather again, and then you talk about how the weather's cold now, but it used to be warm before. You guys remember when it was warm before, now that it's cold? Yeah. That may be what your definition of united is. is look, we're all together. No one hit each other. It's a win, right? We call that a win. But that's, that's not it. That's not what God's inviting us into. I think being united in Christ means that we understand our differences. And we understand there are going to be times where we disagree. We understand there are going to be things we are never going to see eye to eye on. Some of the people I like most are Duke fans, and we still love them in spite of that. You know, there are all kinds of things that, that we do and have that are not going to connect with what other people do. And the lie that our culture keeps telling us is that if we find ourselves different from people around us, we need to be scared and angry at those differences. And we so often need to use those as opportunities to withdraw. I think Jesus is inviting us into something else, something more, something better. Because when you live that kind of way, where you keep pouring fear and anger into you, you can't help but be changed by that. You can't help but be shaped by that. It can't help but sort of turn you in on yourself so that you become this fearful, angry person that doesn't represent, or not even represent, that doesn't experience the goodness of God in your own heart and in your own life because you've been so twisted by all of this other stuff that has gotten you. What if we're called to live and to be a different way? What if we're called to offer a different way to people who have never experienced something like that before? What if being united under Christ means that we understand that unity doesn't have to be uniformity? And what I mean by that is uniform. Everybody looks exactly the same. Everything, is, everything that's different about you is sort of sanded down or covered over so that we are exactly the same. I don't think that's what God's asking us to do. I think the fact that you care about things that are so passionate to you and you lose sleep over them, I may not even think about it. It may not be on my radar. But you speaking up and saying, hey, this matters. God cares about this situation right here, and this is a big deal. That is a blessing for all of us. And when I say, hey, God cares about this, and this is a big deal, and we need to pay attention here, that can be a blessing for others who don't have that in their framework. That all of what makes us unique and interesting, I don't think God wants to sand all of that down and hide that away. I think what God wants to do is have all of those differences not cause us to have chaos and war, but all of those differences to be brought under the understanding that we unite under Jesus. That Jesus is the central thing that brings us together. That we can have so many differences, but that Jesus can be the thing that unifies and unites us. It can be the thing that brings us together so that we don't have to continually draw battle lines and continually have WrestleMania with 
everybody else when they don't happen to think the right way like we think. This is what God wants for us. And how do I know that? I know that because Jesus modeled it. When Jesus invited his disciples to follow him, he invited all of these different people. He invited uh, common kind of folks who would have never been accepted as disciples, wouldn't have even dreamt of being disciples. But he also invited a tax collector, and some of you have heard me uh, do my song and dance on this. Tax collectors were collaborators with the hated Roman Empire, and they got rich off of it. So these tax collectors are wearing nice clothes, they are living in nice houses, they are exploiting the people around them with the power of the government so that they can get rich. Jesus invites one of them to be his disciple. He already is going to be one of the favored as he's walking through with the other disciples. But then Jesus invites a zealot. Now, um, to be zealous when we think of it, or if you, if you know that word, is to be really passionate for something. You know, I'm really zealous about blah, 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 blah. But in Jesus' time, to be a zealot was to be an anarchist trying to violently overthrow the government. Do you imagine the tax collector who's getting rich from Rome and the, vi- the guy trying to violently overthrow the government has a lot of sort of chit-chat among themselves? Do you think they ever sat together? <laughs> because do you think it's one of those situations, maybe you've had this with somebody who you're on the outs with, that when they walk in the room, you know where they are, and you both sort of do that dance where you're like, if you're over here, then I'm just going to be over here. If they're going to sit over in this section, then, oh, look, I have a new spot over here. I've always wanted to sit over here in these pews. It's incredible. Not that you all would have any enemies, but, um, you know, you, other people might. So, but that sense of, the two of them have nothing in common, are violently opposed to each other, and yet Jesus says, all of you were coming together, and we're going to do this together. Only Jesus can bring those things together. Only Jesus can do that. Why is that? Well, Paula read it earlier in our scripture. It's one of the most famous scriptures, and it is, uh, it's thought to have been a hymn in the early church that Paul is quoting. And you have this beautiful, beautiful passage in Philippians 2. If you have any encouragement from being united with Christ, if any comfort from his love, if any fellowship with the Spirit, if any tenderness and compassion... So if, if being with God and following God has done any good thing for you at all, any good thing at all, then make my joy complete by being like-minded, having the same love, being one in spirit and purpose. If you have gotten something good from being united with Christ, make my joy complete, Paul says, Paul urges, by acting that way, that same united way, with other people around you. Do nothing out of selfish selfish ambition or vain conceit, but in humility consider others better than yourselves. Each of you should look not only to your own interests, but also to the interests of others. You don't focus just on you. You have an outward mindset where you are aware and paying attention and seeing how your actions and attitudes connect, influence, and can bless those around you. Your attitude should be the same as that of Christ Jesus, 
who being the, in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be grasped, but he made himself nothing, taking the very nature of a servant being made in human likeness, being found in appearance as, man, as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to death, even death on a cross. Hey, so on Wednesday nights, we're doing uh, our line-by-line Bible study, where we are walking line-by-line through Scripture. And we're in Mark chapter 4. Now, at the very end of Mark chapter 4, we, t- we went over this past Wednesday, it is Jesus taking a nap in the boat when a storm comes up on the sea. The disciples are terrified. They have tried their best to take care of it. Jesus is still sleeping. So they run in, they wake Jesus up, and they ask this really sort of, panicked, terrified, angry question. Do you not care that we're all going to drown? What is wrong with you? What are you doing? So Jesus lifts up his eye mask, goes out. He points at the storm. He rebukes it, tells the wind to be still, and instantly everything is. He looks around at the disciples, and he goes, where is your faith? And then I believe he puts his eye mask back down and goes back to sleep and leaves them stunned. And they go, who is this that even the wind and the waves obey him? Now, there's so much you can talk about this passage, right? Um, One thing that I'd never thought about until we went over it is the disciples have been with Jesus for a while and they are amazed that he can do this, which means He is not treating this power the way that I would treat the power if I were Jesus. Because if I were Jesus and you were annoying me, there would be a thunderstorm right over your head, and I would make sure you knew that I did it. Yep, mm -hmm, you need to think about it. Think about your actions. Nope, nope, do it again, do it again, do it again. And, uh, oh, you want one too? I got one for you. I got one for you. I'll do this all day long. This is, if anybody could be holier than thou, literally, it would be Jesus. If anybody could say, you all don't know what you're doing, you need to hush up and just listen right now because what you're saying is dumb and I don't want to hear it. It could be Jesus. But it sounds so foreign to our ears to imagine Jesus doing that. Why? Because that's not the character and nature of the Jesus we read about in the Gospels. That's not the character and nature of Jesus we've encountered in our lives. Jesus who is loving and gracious and kind who is forgiving, who has the power to calm the sea and the storms, and yet when he is being crucified and they are continuing to hurl insults at him, what does Jesus respond? Forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. The Jesus that we follow is not someone who seeks his own way, but who lifts others up, who seeks to forgive and invite others in who this is the God that we follow. How do we think we can follow this kind of God by being aggressive and angry and bitter and nasty? Jesus is not cruel. We are called to be united under Christ. We unite under Christ because all of our differences together make us better. But we don't just gather together in order to, you know, do whatever and check a box and go. We unite under Christ. 
not just because Jesus is the center, but because we believe Jesus is the only way. Because we believe Jesus is the one that makes all of this possible and powers all things through. And so through him is our only hope and the one that we find peace and joy and goodness and love and all of those fruits of the Spirit. It is through Jesus. So we unite And we choose to be together. We unite with those people who sometimes drive us crazy. We unite with those people who are just wrong. All kinds of wrong. And I need to tell them how wrong they are about all of their wrongness. We still have the invitation to unite with them. Because the rest of the world says we have to separate. And the rest of the world says we have to hate. And the rest of the world is busy with the checklist of how you're in or how you're out. We don't have to be that way. The work of the people can be we unite under Christ because we trust that God is big enough for whatever this world is going to throw at us. We trust that the peace and grace and goodness that we find in God is the only hope we have. So through Jesus, through Christ, we unite. Through his power and through his purpose and through his mission, we unite. And it doesn't suddenly make everything better. People are still going to be annoying because we're all people, right? It doesn't suddenly make everything better, and it's not a new problem. Uh, I had friends who uh, told me about a visit that they uh, went on vacation, and they visited this old church. And this church had, um, their meeting space was smaller than you would expect it to be. And the tour guide said, why, um, why do you think this space is smaller than you think it would be? And no one in the tour had an idea, so they would just start randomly guessing. Uh, they didn't have any money? No, that wasn't it. This was, all they, th- this was all the people they had? No, they had plenty of space. They, they, they had plenty of people. They, they could have built a bigger space. What, why did they build it exactly like this? And the tour guide said, they build it, built it exactly like this because it is just narrow enough that you can't have a duel inside the church building. It's not 20 paces away because the way that people were then are the same way that people are now. It is a situation where we are... <laughs> where, where we are um, going to find people who are angry at us. And we are going to be angry at people. We are going to find people who think that we're wrong. And sometimes we are going to be wrong. But this next year, the work of the people, what if it's an invitation to live in such a way and to react and operate and live in such a way that what God is calling us to is to be united despite our differences because the one thing that holds us together is bigger than all the things that separate and tear us apart. The one thing that holds us together is more than any difference we could possibly have. The one thing of Jesus.